Well, the glitter and the tinsel, those Christmas lights are all out. If, you're, if you don't have those things out yet, you're a little behind. Still time. I'm guessing your trees are pretty with ornaments. Christmas bells are ringing. ringing. Parties are planned. The Christmas season is in fifth gear. And we're all working overtime to make sure that there's plenty of Christmas joy and spirit to go around for everyone. But all the color and the glitter, the lights and all the songs and the eggnog and the presents can't conceal this fact. That there's something wrong with the world. That there's evil. There's brokenness. There's a darkness that touches every aspect of life that our Christmas celebrations, friends, cannot erase. Christmas itself is infected. Kids will wake up on Christmas morning in poverty. Some maybe with a mom or a dad stuck in alcoholism. Meth is going to destroy someone's Christmas in 2019. Others are going to find out they have cancer this holiday season. Sadly, a baby will be stillborn. Couples will grieve their infertility. Christians are dying in North Korea. Protesters are fighting for freedom in Hong Kong. And America is rotting from the inside out by our own immorality, selfishness, and corruption. The festivities of Christmas, friends, only mask and hide the fact that there is something wrong in our world. What is that? What is wrong in our world? Why is there so much evil, so much darkness around us? I mean, isn't that why Jesus came? To make this world a better place. How come it doesn't seem like it is? Why are the fingerprints of evil on everything around us? Well, for the next two Sundays, this Sunday and the next, we're going to be examining this battle between good and evil. From an unlikely Christmas passage, Revelation chapter 12. This chapter in Revelation helps us understand why there is so much darkness in the world, but yet it also shows us how God overcomes the darkness and how we can participate in God's victory in the darkness that's all around us. And so this is my attempt to to talk about Christmas, but also stay honest and real and to serve your souls well this holiday season. So grab a Bible, if you would, and turn to Revelation chapter 12. There are Bibles in the seats near you. Revelation, of course, the last book of the Bible. So turn there, Revelation chapter 12. Now before we read, I want to explain to you what I think is happening in this this book. The book of Revelation is such a mysterious book with its vivid imagery that there are lots of opinions about how to read it. And I'm of the persuasion that by and large, the author of Revelation is giving us these pictures, these pictures, viewpoints, these perspectives on, a, on this battle between good and evil, between God and the powers of darkness, so that, so there's a purpose there, it's not just a story 
about a battle between God and evil just for the sake of it. No, but for the purpose to help you and I, believers in Jesus, keep holding on and looking to him in the midst of all the, all the pain and suffering. There's so many temptations in our world due to the evil around us. Riches are a temptation. Suffering is a temptation. Sensuality, comfort, the pressure of the mob or, or the schemes of the world. These all tempt our faith. And the author of Revelation is trying really hard to help us, saying, hold firm, Christian. It's not going to last forever. Jesus is coming and he's going to win the victory. So don't fall away. Don't give up. That's the dominant message of the book of Revelation. That's what this book is trying to tell us. And so Revelation chapter 12 provides us with one of these viewpoints, one of these angles, these perspectives on that battle. And the, and the perspective of Revelation 12 is a cosmic perspective, meaning it provides us this, this picture of the battle in an, in, a, in an allegorical story that we really can't see with these eyes. We have to see with the eyes of faith. We're looking at this battle with the eyes of faith through the revelation of God giving it to us. And so with that in mind, let's read Revelation chapter 12. We're going to read the whole chapter. It's not terribly long, um, but a little bit longer than we typically read on a Sunday morning. We're going to read all of chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. Here's how the story goes. And a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was pregnant and was crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. She gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but he was defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives, even unto death. 
Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath, because he knows that his time is short. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle so that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half a time. The serpent poured water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to, help, came to the help of the woman and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And he stood on the sand of the sea. This chapter, we see two figures that we're going to be looking at these next two weeks. We see a dragon and we see a child. Today, we're going to focus on the dragon. Who is this dragon? What is he up to? What's he doing? And then next week, we're going to look at the child and how this child wins the victory and how you and I, how you and I participate in the victory of God. So let's look at this story. It starts talking about a woman. This woman, I think, is an allegorical picture of the people of God throughout the ages. The woman is first depicted as the family of Jacob, renamed Israel. And I can explain some of those details to you if you're curious about those things at another time. And then this woman then later is transformed into the mother of this divine child. And at the end of Revelation chapter 12, this woman is the mother of everyone. The mother of everyone who holds to the testimony of Jesus. And so, so we have this woman's being depicted over the course of thousands of years. And we see that this woman has a stalker, a villain, and that's the dragon. The dragon's powerful and influential. That's what his horns and his heads represent in verse 3. He has angels that make war on the hosts of heaven and the sons and, and daughters of men. And we get a, a more detailed description of who this dragon is in verse 9. Look at verse 9 with me, if you would. Revelation 12, verse 9, it reads this way, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. First thing that jumps out to me when I'm reading this verse is that we learn that this dragon has a name. This dragon's name is Satan, it says, or the devil. The Bible makes clear that God has a nemesis, First Baptist. He has an adversary. And this enemy named Satan has been at work from the very beginning of time to this very moment. That's why verse 9, it says he's the ancient serpent. Meaning he's been, he's been around from the very beginning of the earth. He is the one creating trouble for Adam and Eve in the garden. For Abraham and Jacob. He was working his schemes through Pharaoh in Egypt against Moses and the people of God. Also through the Philistines in the times of David. He was infiltrating the the religious establishment of Israel where 
where eventually the very prophets of God were murdered because they were speaking truth. Truth about God and truth truth that the people needed to repent and turn back to him. And he's alive and at work today in our world. And I'll kind of highlight some of that here in, in a moment. But that's who this dragon is. This dragon is Satan, the devil, the adversary of God throughout the ages. And then look also on verse 9, First Baptist, how this, how this Satan, this devil, does his primary work. It says in verse 9 that he deceives. In fact, that's who he is. He's called the deceiver of the whole world. Jesus himself in John chapter 8 calls Satan the father of lies. You know, when we, when we think through and imagine the work of the evil one in the world, the evil one at work in our own hearts, we oftentimes, I think, will glamorize, or maybe that's not the right word, maybe sensationalize the powers of darkness in the world today as some exotic, mythical force like a ghost or spirits or demons with like a very visual picture in our mind. Haunting people, if you will. But the scriptures emphasize the work of Satan as lies. As deceit. I think we would do ourselves a lot of spiritual good if we, made, if we paid more attention to the lies and the decept, deception of this evil one rather than what our mental projections of what we think he might look like be. I think we would serve our souls a lot better if we would be, be um, cautious about and attentive to the lies, the messages that are false than more of the dramatic depictions popularized maybe in popular books or, or movies. And so think about this with me. When, when you are tempted, get this, when you are tempted to believe the message that the most important thing you can do to live a good life is to focus on you, to love you first, friends, you are being lied to by the evil one. You are being deceived. When your accumulation of possessions, when your riches tempt you to forget God, telling you you don't need him, you can just go down to the grocery store and buy your daily bread, you don't need to ask for it, you are being lied to. By the evil one. And when your sufferings and when your hardships are screaming at you, God doesn't care. He is not good. He does not have the power. Friends, that is what's demonic. Satan is telling you lies in an effort to destroy the work of God in your life. And so we are in a battle, and it's a battle truth, First Baptist. Truth is of God. Deceit is of the devil. And that should tell you just how important the word of God is as the truth. It also should um, motivate you to build into your lives truth-seeking mechanisms, truth-seeking habits, making sure you're a part of a truth-seeking community, Because we are losing the battle against the evil one when we give in to the lies. When we believe the lies. That's the work of the evil one. 
Now, going back to the story here in, in Revelation 12, let me just highlight, I think, the, the big idea, the main point the author wants us to see in this chapter itself. Um, I, I really think that what the author is trying to help us see and do in Revelation 12 is to get ready, is to be warned. Revelation 12, and I'm going to show you this in a moment because that's where the power is. The power is in you seeing the word of God for yourself. I want to show you a couple places how the author is trying to warn you about the power of the darkness and the danger, the spiritual danger that we are in because of the work of this dragon. Let me show you that. So we saw, as we read, there was this cosmic battle in the middle of the chapter. And the dragon is defeated, praise God. We're going to look in, in depth next week on the victory that, that God provides to us through Jesus. But just because Satan has been defeated doesn't mean we're not in danger. Look at verse 12 with me in chapter 12. It says, Therefore rejoice, this is after the battle scene and the victory, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath because he knows that his time is short. And so Jesus won the battle. That's good news. Satan has been defeated. Something to celebrate. But there's still a time that Satan can do damage through lies and deceit on earth. And look what the writer says. He says, watch out. Those of you who are on the earth, be careful. That's what he means when he says, and woe to you, O earth and sea, for the devil has come down to you in great wrath. He's warning us. He's saying, be careful. While we celebrate the destruction and the defeat of Satan in heaven, he is now on earth. And he is bringing his wrath to you. So be careful. He knows his time is short and he's going to make a mess of things as much as he can. And then in addition to that, look, what, look how this chapter ends there in verse 17. Look at the very last verse. Verse 17. It says, Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. Now, I would suggest to you that the war the dragon is making is certainly included in the great wrath that he's coming to the earth to bring. And who is this dragon making war on? What does it say? Do you see it? It says the dragon is going to make war on the rest of the woman's offspring. Now, who's that? You don't have to guess. No, not quite. You don't have to guess. That's one of the things I love about the Bible, right? You oftentimes don't need to guess. The answer is found right in the text. What does the Bible say is the answer to that question? Who is the rest of the offspring of this woman? It says, to those who hold the commandments of God, who keep the commandments of God, and hold to the testimony of Jesus. That's the rest of her offspring. And I don't think that's two different groups of people. 
That's the same group of people, okay? Those who keep the commandments of God are those who hold to the testimonies of Jesus, and those who hold to the testimonies of Jesus are those who keep the commandments of God. Same group of people, just describes what this group of people are like. And friends, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, if you put your faith and trust in him, and you're looking to Jesus for the salvation of your souls, forgiveness of your sins, and you're eager right now, day by day, to experience the power of his spirit to change you in such a way where you actually obey the commands of God, that's something I pray for, that I would obey the commands of God by his spirit's power. Friends, that's you and me. That's that's who the dragon is making war on in his great wrath. And for the sake of being redundant, let me just say this. How? Well, through lies. He's the deceiver of the whole world. Not only that, there's accusation. We saw that, and we'll talk about that next week a little bit. The Bible also calls Satan the great tempter. Those three things, friends, in the scriptures we see an emphasis on Satan's work. He tempts, he accuses, and he lies. The way you should think about Satan's work in this world and in your life is through those three things. Temptation, accusation, and lies. You know, I don't know, I don't know a definitive answer to that age-old philosophical and theological question and debate of what is good and what is, it, what is evil, what are those things? I don't know the answer to that, but what I do know from God's word is that evil is embodied in an evil one, the devil and Satan. Now, I... I want to say this, it's somewhat of a parenthetical statement, somewhat of a rabbit trail, isn't so much found in Revelation chapter 12, nor is it so focused much on the Christmas story, but it's just something so important, I think, for me to say, talking about this, this topic of, of Satan and, and the evil one, is that, you know, sometimes we're tempted to hear these things, the things that I'm talking about today, and come to the conclusion that everything that's wrong in me and everything wrong that I do is the result not of, of something wrong with me, but something wrong with the world and with Satan. And basically the person to blame is someone out there somewhere. You know, kind of this Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it mentality. You know, this great comedian and actor in the 20th century became famous by saying, for saying, hey, the devil made me do it. You know, some of you are little older might remember some of his comedic routines. But I'm afraid that we evangelicals um, have become entrenched in a, in a theology, a way of thinking where we truly believe that our sins and our temptations are only the result of someone out there somewhere and not a problem with what's inside of us. And yes, there's a problem with the devil in the world today. And yes, he is influential and powerful. But that's only a part of the picture of our problem. Instead, the Bible wants us to recognize and see also that the problem is inside of us too. The the scriptures teach us that, guess what? We are actually an ally to Satan. We're on his team until we experience the new birth. 
that the problem isn't only out there, it's also in here, in me, in you. The Bible tells us that we are enemies of God, children of wrath like the rest of mankind by our very nature, it says in Second, excuse me, in Ephesians chapter 2. And so friends, we are Satan's foot soldiers carrying out his orders. And guess what? We do so gladly. We do so willingly until we experience the new birth when God, this is how much our God loves us, that our God is willing to convert his enemies, allies of Satan, saving us, rescuing us from the bondage that we're in on his side in the powers of darkness and bringing us into the kingdom of his son. And so, friends, I just think it's so important that we're not given into the belief that our problem is exclusively outside of us. No, the scriptures want to remind us that the problem is also inside of us. Now, what should our response to these things be? I have two thoughts in regards to a response from us today from this message. The first response is to be on guard. The first response is to be on guard. As I shared before, revelation is a call to the elect, meaning a call to the people of God to keep faith and to resist the schemes of the evil one, to not be cowardly in the face of suffering and opposition and temptation, instead to stand firm. It's a rallying cry. Revelation is a rallying cry for all of us to look at one another and say, hey, let's keep holding on. It's worth it. Jesus is going to win, even though it may not feel like he is winning or we will experience the victory. It will happen. You know, there's a phrase later in the book of Revelation. I love it. It's there a couple of times. We won't look at it, but this is the little phrase. So in Revelation, the author is telling the story, again, trying to help us. And right in the middle of the story, he'll just stop. And the author says something like this, here is a call for the saints to endure. Here is a call for the saints to endure. Do you hear that? Endure, First Baptist. Keep the faith. And so I really think the first response that we should have in the midst of this right now is to keep going, keep believing, keep trusting in Jesus. The second response I think that is good for us to have is a response of lament. Lamenting is a combination of a prayer and a complaint. A prayer to God and a complaint to God. Now you might hear the complaining part and think, well, wait a minute. We're not supposed to do that. Christians aren't supposed to complain about things. Well, look, I, you're right about that to some degree. But, but in the scriptures, we see that there's this long tradition in the Bible where the people of God express their dissatisfaction, their displeasure, their frustration with the pain, with the injustice, with the suffering that we experience in the world. And so our laments aren't some whiny, I'm going to take my ball and go home kind of response. No, a true lament is this faithful and hopeful belief that God can and will do better 
And it's also, though, an expression that it isn't here soon enough. And you'll read in the Bible laments like, How long, O Lord? How long must we endure this? Or, Have you forgotten us, God? Why do you turn your back? Why do you turn your back to us? Have you forgotten your promises to us? And so it's this combination of facing God, looking to him in hope, but also being honest about our frustration and displeasure. You see, friends, there's a gap. There's a gap between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. The Bible talks about the gap between the age, the present age, and the age to come. In the present age, you have all the trouble and sorrow and hardship. And in the age to come, you have all the promise. But there's this gap here. We don't experience all the promise yet. And so with the waiting, with the longing, there's this frustration. And the Bible invites us, friends, to express that frustration to God in hopeful faith. And so we're going to end our service today with some songs of lament. One's a Christmas song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. We're familiar with that Christmas song, but it's a song of lament. It's a song that looks at the darkness of the present world and says, God, come, would you please come and rescue us in it? And then the other song of lament is a new song that Kevin is going to lead us in. And I want to invite you to do two things while we sing these songs of lament. First thing I want you to do is personalize it. I want you to personalize the lament. I want you to put your fingerprint on it. What are you frustrated by? I want you to express that to God in the quietness of your heart and mind. Is that the violence that you see all around us? Is it the greed? Maybe the sickness. And not just sickness, maybe your sickness. Maybe your family member's sickness and you are tired of being sick. I want you to express that to God. Maybe it's broken families or poverty. I want you to be self-righteous about it. It's not about cursing other people. But it is about expressing the displeasure about the gap between the way things are and the way things are supposed to be. But the second thing I want you to do is I want you to be hopeful. Don't complain like our God isn't able, that he isn't good, that he isn't willing, because, friends, he is all those things. It's just that we're struggling to understand why God hasn't yet and why God hasn't done it this way. And God is, invites us to face him and be honest with those frustrations. And so humble yourself to his wisdom, to his way, and his time, but have hope that God will defeat the dragon and make things right.